you love Jesus, say amen. amen. We want to welcome you this morning. My name is Michael. I'm the lead pastor here at Victory, and we just want to thank you guests today. If it's your first time, we realize there are a lot of great churches in West Memphis, Marion, and we are honored that you've chosen to be with us, to worship the Lord today together with us. I want to just share a little bit, especially in line with that great video talking about the, the church of Jesus Christ through the last 2,000 years, this revolution in the making. Uh, we, we are attempting to do everything that we can here as we grow to reach out to our community. And I hold a, a thank you letter in my hand here from the principal of Weaver Elementary. We partnered with two schools at, in our back-to-school bash, and we equipped a whole bunch of backpacks that went out to those two schools to be able to minister to children that were in need. And so... We always do all kinds of outreaches here at Victory, and uh, we just want to read this to you real quick. It's only about five lines. It says, Dear Victory Church, on behalf of Weaver Elementary, I would like to thank you for your generous donation of school supplies and backpacks. Your contributions will make it possible for many of our students to start off to a successful school year. The smiles on the student faces were priceless as they received their new backpacks that were filled with paper, pencils, crayon, glue, and other supplies they needed to be successful. Once again, thank you for your donations, and we look forward to a successful school year. Sincerely, Sheila Grissom, Principal Weaver Elementary School. If you would, let's give the Lord praise this morning. Amen. Wanna wanna thank you for all your work, Pastor Haley Vest, our children's pastor, Pastor Jeremy Soto. You just saw them up here. Give them a hand this morning. Did a great job coordinating that. We receive a miracle offering once a year, the first week of November, and last year we received about $25,000. That went to giving away last December 300 coats to children, brand new coats who might be underprivileged and not be able to have a brand new warm coat. Uh, we ministered to our first responders in April. Uh, we've done this, the backpack thing, and there's a couple other things in there that I've forgotten about, but we've had some great outreaches that we're excited about. Uh, by the way, our next one is coming up in October, which will be our screen on the green. We just want to give you a real quick preview of that. Um, we'll be making some announcements about that great outreach into the community to invite folks to come and kind of help folks see that the church can get outside the four walls and have a good time together. Um, this morning, as we welcome you today, our guests and all of our regulars, our covenant members, regular attenders here to National Back to Church Sunday, I'm choosing to sort of hit the pause button on the Mark series. We are doing an expositional series, which means verse by verse through the Gospel of Mark, and we've been in that since right after uh, Resurrection Sunday this year. So we're about 20, 20 weeks into it. We'll pick back up with that next Sunday. Uh, but this morning, I just wanted to speak to you briefly about the distinction between religion and relationship. We're, we're bombarded here in the Bible Belt South with what I believe is and what I have termed myself Southern Churchianity. And that's very different than real, true, relationship-based Christianity. And, and this morning, whatever your denominational heritage is, we, we love and respect that. We, there's plenty of room at the table. We'll talk about that a little bit uh, in just a few moments as we get into the message today. But I have seven principles that I want to bring to you very quickly today. The first one right out of the chute, if you've been coming, you will recognize this one because we say this one over and over with the Mark series, and it appears this way. It says, religion offers advice. The gospel, which literally means good news, is the definition of the word. When you translate gospel, it is good news. The gospel is good news of how you can have a relationship with God through Jesus Christ. Now, that sounds very matter-of-fact, but 
if we just sort of listen and don't listen, we glaze over it. Religion is about advice. It is something that you have yet to do. News is something, is the record or the telling of the story of something that has already been done. If something comes on the nightly news, it's the report of an event that had occurred that day or maybe possibly that week or something that's been going on the last few months and uh, attention has come to it and so they're drawing light to the story. News is about something that has either happened in the past or it is currently happening right now. The gospel is past tense. It's good news of what Jesus Christ has done for us. Religion is very different. It's, it's basically a set of to-dos for self-help. It's kind of a self-improvement, sort of self-made, man-made kind of a design or a program where supposedly we can have or curry favor with God. And I want to talk to you this morning about the difference between the two because sometimes people in church can confuse the two. The difference between a relationship and the difference between religion. And so this morning, we're not here to offer you advice. We're not here to say, if you'll just do these few things or stop doing these things. Too many times, religion is really what we might call the gospel of sin management. It's holiness by reduction. If you don't do this, 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 and this, then you are maybe what certain Christians would call holy. But I believe that is a very, very, very reductionist kind of a view of holiness because holiness is wholeness. It is walking in all the blessing and the benefit and the goodness of God and not just subtracting a few things that you think are wrong or incorrect or improper that we might identify as sin. Sometimes it's more culturally identified than it is even biblically identified. There's some things here in the South that folks just don't do and there's really nothing biblical wrong with some of those things. And many times we get caught in that trap of what, what it is to, quote, be a Christian. And we sit up and do the, we do the act and we put on the mask and we, do, we go through the motions and we have the act. But there's never really been any real transformation or change in the heart. Religion so often is about information and relationship really is about transformation. And it's two entirely worlds apart different kinds of things. Are, are you tracking with me yet this morning? All right, number two, I want you to see as we move into number two, the Bible says, uh, tells us that religion is man-made, but the gospel is God-given. Religion is man-made, the gospel is God-given. And before I jump into that further, I just want to remind you of, of probably what is the best-known Bible verse in all of Scripture. And, and we've, we've really been overexposed to it. it there, there's a kind of saturation point for the last... 40, 50 years of televised sporting events, there's been someone at every major sporting event holding up a poster that's been painted by the individual that says, what scripture? What is it? John 3.16. And, and we, are, we are saturated with the awareness of this. But, oh, Holy Spirit, help us this morning to, uh, with, with fresh eyes to see and with, with open ears and changed hearts to be able to grasp the meaning of these words. If you know it, say it with me, please, everybody. For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son that whoever believes in Him should not perish but have everlasting life. The first law of love is giving. God so loved that what? That He gave. He gave His uniquely begotten, His only begotten Son. Distinction huge between Religion and relationship. Religion is man-made. The gospel is God-given. God so loved that He gave. Jesus is the personification. He is the embodiment of the message of the gospel Himself. But listen at how religion is formed in the hearts 
of men who attempt to craft and connive and scheme and explain the inexplicable and to, to remove the mystery from the mysterious. Psalm 135 verse 15 says, The idols of the nations are silver and gold, the work of human hands. They have mouths but do not speak. They have eyes but do not see. They have ears but do not hear, nor is there any breath in their mouths. Those who make them become like them. So do all who trust in them. Wow. Strong impression that I get from this is there's a Bible principle that we become what we worship. When we identify in a man-made attempt to try to reduce the unexplicable mystery of God and the, the, the cosmic demonstration of His glory, the heavens declare His glory and the earth shows forth His handiwork in the beauty of all creation and we try to reduce it down to a piece of wood that's carved out of a log and we bow down in front of it yet it has eyes but do not see it has ears but they don't hear it doesn't have any breath in its mouth or its nostrils and the Bible goes on to identify this problem that exists throughout all of humanity for all time in history and when I study world history and teach it in a university level this does not in any means strike any kind of doubt to my faith when I recognize that the whole universal human race has made an attempt to try to identify the unidentifiable, tried to touch the untouchable, recognize that there's something out there that is beyond us. There's something greater than, something bigger than, something that we yearn and long to be able to commune with. It's in every culture, it's in every ethnicity, every nation, every race, every people, every tribe, every tongue. There is the reaching to the transcendent, reaching to grasp something that is greater than, something that is above us, something that we would call God. Some cultures have multitudes of them, little g, gods. This is what Isaiah 45, 20 says, Assemble yourselves and come, draw near together, you survivors of the nations. They have no knowledge who carry about their wooden idols and keep on praying to a God that cannot save. Declare and present your case and let them take counsel together. Who told this long ago? Who declared it of old? Was it not I the Lord? And there is no other God besides me, a righteous God and a Savior. There is none besides me. He identifies the problem with man-made religion and listen as he begins to uncover for us, manifest, to reveal the gospel. He says in verse 20, 22 of Isaiah 45, Turn to me and be saved, all the ends of the earth. For I am God and there is no other. By myself I have sworn, from my mouth has gone out in righteousness a word that shall not return. To me every knee shall bow and every tongue shall swear allegiance. God is declaring that in every man-made attempt to try to identify this inexplicable force, this this, this something beyond us that we know that is there but we can't identify. We can't explain it. We don't understand it, but we know. The Bible tells us that, that Augustine, the, the great 4th century bishop of Hippo of the Roman Catholic Church, he was an African, very, very important man in church history. He said that there is in man, there is this vacuum that is God-shaped that only God himself can fit in. In other words, there is a yearning inside every heart of every human that's ever born on the planet to know God and it cannot be satisfied until we do know Him. And that means that we sometimes confuse the urge 
and we try to medicate that longing, that, that yearning on the inside of our soul. We, we medicate it with alcohol or with drugs or with food or shopping or a career or workaholism or a, an ex- illicit affair or relationship, any other different kind of thing that we can for a season sometimes temporarily get something of a, of a satisfaction, but that when it really comes down to it at the end of the day, It may have given us something temporary, but there's still this emptiness and a longing that only God Himself can feel. Come on, somebody, give Him some praise. Number three, religion is man's attempt to reach up to God. The gospel is God's determination in coming down to man. The Bible says in John chapter 1 verse 14, And the Word was made flesh, and He dwelt among us, and we beheld His glory as of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. The the message says it this way, the Word was made flesh and He moved into the neighborhood. This was God breaking every barrier, tearing down every wall, removing every obstacle out of the way so that man who didn't have the ability by himself to reach up to God, God came down, became the ladder himself and came down to man, no longer said climb up to me, but he says, I'm coming down to you. I want to walk among you. I want to show you what God is like. And so God became a man. And Jesus was all man and all God. And we call it the incarnation at Christmas. And we refer to him as Emmanuel, God with us. And I'm so thankful that Jesus is a historical figure. We don't have a religion that is just based on some kind of a concept or a principle that a mythical person created hundreds or thousands or or millennia ago in the past. But we serve a Jesus who is historically validated, seen and witnessed by hundreds of people after He was resurrected. Do you believe that this morning? That's the difference. That's the difference. All of these others are just sort of rooted in some kind of an abstract idea, but Christianity solely is rooted in A Savior who died for His people and was raised from the dead on the third day. Jesus is the only man in history who died to put His last will and testament into effect. You have a copy of it there in your lap. It's in your Bible. It's called the New Testament. He's the only man in history who died to put His last will and testament into effect and then rose from the grave to become the executor over His own estate to see to it that you got the inheritance that He died so you could receive. That'll preach. I love it. Jesus is the only testator in history who is also the same executor over His own will. Every religion of the world has some demand for its followers to sacrifice themselves for its God. Christianity that is based on a relationship and not religion. The real relationship with Christ in Christianity is the only one that basically said everybody else tells you to die for its God. We're the only one where God is dying for His followers. Jesus Christ came, given by God, to die for me and you. Come on somebody, put your hands together and give the Lord praise. Number four, religion is about a program. The gospel offers a relationship that is about presence. Religion is about a program. The gospel offers a relationship that is about presence. John chapter 1, the Bible says, Jesus came to His own and His own received Him not. But as many as received Him, to them He gave power to become the children of God. Greek word is weos, the sons of God, the mature 
sons of God. And the, the scripture goes on to tell us in the last book of the Bible, in Revelation chapter 3, he, the, 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 the prophecy is being written to a church and Jesus is standing on the outside of the church door and he's knocking on the door and he says, Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If any man hear my voice and open the door, I will come into him and sup with him and he with me. Now what's wrong with this picture? This life-giving, not organization, but organism that has been shaking history for 2,000 years with that wonderful two-minute video we just watched a moment ago with the first hospital ever built and the, the first to stand up for the rights of children and orphanages and all of these things that the church has been at the forefront of doing for generations, for centuries, literally for two millennia now. Jesus says there's something going on that's not right. He's on the outside of the place where he ought to be, the inside, the very life, the source of strength and joy. He's on the outside looking in and knocking and going, Behold, I'm at the door and knocking. Will you open the, the door and hear my voice and let me come in and sit down and fellowship with you? Something happens sometimes to people who love Jesus. Even though they've had a relationship with them, it's easy to sort of slide back into kind of a religious performance trap. Uh, we, we are immersed in pharisaical kind of Bible Belt Southern churchianity around here which is sort of all about rules and regulations and laws and how a Christian is supposed to be or act. And a lot of that is really kind of extra biblical. It's stuff that even the scripture doesn't even speak to, but it's sort of been handed down to us by tradition. And we've, we've sort of gotten caught in the trap of, well, we, this is how Granny did it. And sometimes we find out that maybe, maybe Granny did some good things that we should bring along, but sometimes Granny had some bad ideas. And when traditions become bad, we need to recognize that it's back to the word that we go and we let the Lord deal with us. We are not about religion, about laws and rules. Number five this morning, religion is about laws and rules. The gospel is about grace and love. Religion is about laws and rules. The gospel is about grace and love. Listen to this amazing passage from Romans chapter 8. The Bible says, There is therefore now no condemnation to them which are in Christ Jesus. That means you. If Jesus Christ is your Lord and Savior of your life, there is no accusation that the enemy can bring against you and it be worth its breath. It cannot stick because you are covered by the blood of the Lamb. Come on, somebody give God some praise this morning. Now, now as a man who is free and experiencing this great place of grace and love and mercy and, and, and just reveling in the fact that I have a Savior who, who, who loved me and died for me, Ephesians 1 says that I'm accepted in the Beloved. Chapter 2 says that I've been raised up and made to sit down with Him in heavenly places, that I once was dead in trespasses and sins, but now I've been made alive in Christ. By grace I've been saved. Wow, those are amazing principles that sometimes I forget who I am and when I lose a sense of my identity, I can just jump goofy and, and start thinking weird and I can very easily, very quickly sort of resort back to a performance trap mentality where I think I have to work for God to love me. Okay, okay, go. I got it, I got it, I got it. I know, I know, you're right, Pastor, I hear you. I know that I was saved by grace, but I really feel like I need to make sure that I, I do the right thing so I can stay saved. That's not biblical. Because he who began a good work in you is the one who is going to finish the good work in you. Okay? Now, so how do I relate to this thing of, of rules? Because there are some rules. Matter of fact, there are some expectations in a good relationship. 
Anybody sitting here in the room this morning knows that a, a husband and wife, you know, you, you may not have a codified set of rules. Now, some of you husbands, you might have some of those. I don't know. Maybe you need some. But as far as really having something etched in stone or written down, it's really kind of a, an unspoken or maybe it's a good thing. When you stood before witnesses and friends in the presence of God, you made vows. You said them with your mouth. It's important that you realize there's some expectations. So you might can call those laws. But, but there's a difference in keeping those out of fear and keeping them out of love. Uh, let, me, let me give you an analogy. I, I, I can drive down the road and I can um, obey the speed limit. I can keep the traffic laws and I can drive safely out of one of two reasons. An external motivation is... Sitting right down around the corner there is a state trooper. And if I'm 10 miles over the speed limit, he will, the highway pastor will pull me over and minister to me. <laughs> he will write me a piece of paper that will bless me and that will make me go before a court. And I will have to bring my checkbook and give my tithes and offerings to the state. And I'll have to make a donation. And I'll have to do it whether I like it or not. And at the first of the next month, I'll get an insurance statement that'll go up and I'm blessed and everything's increasing. And I can do this out of fear based on an external motivation or I can get a revelation of the fact that I'm given a precious liberty along which comes a responsibility that when I get under the wheel... Because I love my wife and I love my life and I love my children and I love the brothers and sisters that are my brothers in humanity that are driving up and down and sharing the highway with me and out of respect for them, I obey the speed limit and I keep the traffic laws and I drive safely because I love my family, I love my brothers in Christ and I don't want to hurt anyone. The, the first one is based on fear with a punishment. The second one is based on a reward and love and grace. The first one is an external motivation, a law that will punish. The second one is an internal motivation, a love that will reward and bless and prosper everything that I put my hand to. Are you following me this morning? And let me just say this. As a pastor, um, I was riding around the other day and I was giving a person in our church a ride and he was talking about how he'd had a lot of speeding tickets and they were off his record. I said, oh, I want to just tell you, I'm so thankful. This is called mercy that it rolls off every three years. He said, really, Pastor, you have a lot of speeding tickets? I said, well, I have had. He said, well, I just can't believe that. You've got speeding tickets? I said, let me tell you, preachers are probably the worst offenders <laughs> because we're in a hurry. We've got somewhere to go, somebody to see, a hospital to visit, you know, appointments. And after all, we're doing kingdom work, so we really shouldn't have to keep the speed limit. <laughs> That kind of creeps in your thinking. And when you have a highway pastor that pulls you over and reminds you that you're subject to the law of the land like everybody else, and you get to tithe to the state a couple of times, it kind of brings you back into reality. And I'm thankful that after three years, it sort of rolls off. And as far as the east is from the west, so far have my transgressions been removed from me. Hadn't quite yet manifested in my insurance rates going back down yet, though. Are you hearing me this morning? We can do it from an external motivation based on fear or we can do it from an internal motivation based on love and grace. And the gospel is entirely different. It's an inside-out operation. Religion is an outside-in. It's a kind of a thing where we sort of clean up the cup on the outside and the inside of it is filled with putrefying, rotting, nasty 
stinking things. Jesus looked at the Pharisees and the Sadducees, of which were his problem on a regular basis. Have, have you know that the, the people that Jesus wrestled with, that he struggled with, it wasn't people that were in gross patterns of sin and addictive patterns of behavior that were doing awful things. It wasn't the murderer or the thief or the pervert or the adulterer or the liar or any of these kinds of people. It was the religious folks who thought they had their act together. It was everybody who showed up for Sabbath, who went to the synagogue, who visited the temple, who gave their sacrifices and their offerings, and they did everything like they were supposed to, and they set up and looked good. How many times do we in religious observances go to church and we are, we are silently hurting on the inside because we're living a life that's based upon a mask? It's Halloween 24-7, 365, and we're living behind a religious mask. It's a commercial that I saw recently on TV about a, a woman who was wrestling with lupus, the disease. And some of you might have seen the commercial and it talked about the fact that too many times they go in and sit down with their doctors and they don't actually reveal all of the symptoms that they have. And you don't have to live in that kind of, that kind of peace-robbing existence. And it literally showed the woman putting on a mask that looked just like her face with sort of a fake plastic smile. And she walked out of her house. She's going through life. She's, she's, she's seeing people. And she's got on this mask. She sits down in her doctor's office and she finally removes the mask because she's in a place, an environment where she knows that she's accepted, where she is going to be cared for. The church of Jesus Christ is supposed to be that kind of place where we can come in. Too many times people are suffering with silent sin symptoms because they feel like they will be shunned or they will be rejected or they will be absolutely with back turned against them. And if there is a place where people ought to be real, they should learn to be transparent. It's a place where the light is shining and where the love of Jesus is, is warm in the room and where people can say, you know what? I'm struggling with this and I need, I need you to stand with me. I need you to walk with me. I, I, I know it's bad. I've made some wrong choices, but I'm just asking for the mercy and the grace of God. And for people that are ready and are not shocked that are not shocked, that, oh, oh, I just can't believe it. How I many you know God is not shocked at the stuff in your life? He doesn't gasp. He knows what you struggle with. He knows every desire that He's created you to have and every legitimate, blessed means of satisfying that desire. And He knows that you have a very real enemy who's attempted to take every one of those good desires and twist it into something that has become perverted. Where we try to pacify our heart yearning what is it, Psalm 42, verse 1? As the deer pants for the water, so my soul longs for you, O God. And somewhere in that longing, it gets translated into, I need to eat more, or I need to sniff this powder, or I need to smoke this, or I need to experience that with her or with him, or any of these kinds of things that we can sort of self-medicate. And we may experience pleasure for a moment, but it never does answer the real cry of our hearts to know Jesus Christ. I don't just mean going through the motions and shaking the pastor's hand, raising your hand, signing a fresh start card, anything like that at all. I'm talking about something that is alive, that gets on the inside of you and transforms you from the inside out. I, I want to tell you, I've played the religion game and I, I'm, I'm in a relationship right now that's the best it's ever been. I love my life. I love my wife. I love this church. I, I love what I'm doing and I'm so thankful that it's because of Jesus Christ. Number six, religion can only deal with the outside, external appearance, 
the gospel brings a relationship with, which deals with the inside, the internal motivation. Listen as Jesus says in Mark chapter 7, verses 6 and 7. This people honors me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. In vain do they worship me, teaching as doctrines the commandments of men. It is too easy to come into a church even like this with a life-giving relationship with true gospel grace preaching going forth and sort of learn the jargon, learn to be able to speak the victory ease, the Christian ease, and kind of go through the motions and say all the stuff. But oh God, how amazing it would be if you could just experience the real true relationship and the life-transforming power of God. Don't stop short. Don't buy into just going through the motions and wearing the mask. Jesus says, these folks, they're doing everything right on the outside, but their hearts are far from me. God, don't let that be. We need a heart transplant. Ezekiel 36, 26 is the promise of God, and it says this, A new heart also I will give you, and a new spirit I will put within you. And I will take away the stony heart of your flesh, and I will give you a heart of flesh. And I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes, and you shall keep my judgments and do them. Bible Belt South is so saturated with religion. It's like a bad commercial that you hate and you mute it every time you, it comes on because you hate it. You just despise it. It's, it's like the unique hum of the refrigerator in your house that after so long you become insensitive to hearing it and somebody else walks in and goes, what's that sound? And you're going, what sound? You don't even hear it. I think that happens sometimes with, with religious preaching. The, the Bible Belt South is so saturated with religion and with Southern churchianity. It's like we've been vaccinated. And you know what? You know what a vaccination does? A vaccination takes a dead germ or a dead virus and it injects that into your system. And your system takes that thing and it, 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 it replicates it and figures out how, how all of those things fit together and it creates a sense of immunity in your system so that when you come in contact with a living smallpox then you will ward that off because you've been injected and vaccinated with a dead smallpox. And you've, you've already experienced the measles or chickenpox or you've been vaccinated for any of these childhood diseases and once that's been in you, your system builds an immunity to it so that you ward off the living thing. Now that's great as long as we're talking disease. But it's outrageous when we've been indoctrinated with religion, with a dead germ, with a dead virus, and that it makes us be confrontational to the real, true, living gospel because it scares us. Because after all, I can figure out the code. I can look and see what the expectations are. If I just watch long enough and be quiet a little while, I can see how everybody's sort of going through the motions and doing the act and living the religious lifestyle. But you confront me with a living germ, with something that is... And I'm telling you this morning, I'm praying for God to grab every one of us and give us uh, exposure to a super strain of Christianity. So that we absolutely cannot ward it off. I'm praying that the Holy Spirit infects us with a super strain of the gospel, that we will become contagious with new life. Hallelujah. He's the only one who can do it anyway. It's been man's attempts in the past that have given and gotten this whole thing into the mess that we're in anyway. God help us to not be vaccinated with a dead religion that makes us ward off a living relationship. Number seven, and I'm finished this morning. Religion is always about something more to do. You're, you're never done. You can never get that peace. It's like the proverbial carrot in front of the donkey. You're just always walking toward it, but it seems to always be just outside of your reach something that just cannot possibly ever be grasped. 
You just need to read one more self-help book. You just need to go to one more seminar on 10 things to being a better Christian. I just need to read my Bible more. I need to pray more. I need to fast more. I need to go to church more. I need to, I need to do this. I need to do that. And you start just mounding up all of these things because after all, religion just continuously gives me something else that I've got to do. And let me just tell you, there's a, there's a realization that breaks through the heavens one day when we finally understand that the gospel offers me a relationship that is based on something that has already been done. Everybody say do. Now look at done. Do. Done. My granny said it this way. She said, honey, if it ain't done, don't eat it. And there are too many churches that preached and that continue to preach an unfinished work of Christ. Jesus on the cross and he says, hey guys, about this whole salvation thing, I'm going to just really get it started for you. Just do the best you can. You know, finish it if you can. And you know, maybe, maybe when you get to heaven, we'll, your good deeds will outweigh your bad. Jesus didn't say that. He didn't say, help me out with this thing. You know what he did? He hung on the cross for you and me and he cried three loud words. He said, it is finished. The grammar's bad, but Granny was anointed when she said it. Look at your neighbor right now say, if it ain't done, don't eat it. I'm talking about gospel preaching now. It is a finished work. I have a closing video this morning that I want to give to you. And I believe that um, if you've never experienced what would be called a spoken word presentation of the gospel, you're in for a real treat. But I just want to pray one line here. Holy Spirit, grasp our hearts right now and give us a super strain of the gospel that no vaccination of religion can ever hold us back. Watch, please. 